Welcome to the Tragically Beautiful Podcast, where together we delve into the profound stories of survivors who have emerged from the shadows of abusive relationships and seek out the opportunities to transform it into something truly beautiful. This is episode 15, Beyond the Scars, Childhood Trauma, Fatherly Abuse, and Forgiveness. Again, beautiful friends. Welcome back to the Tragically Beautiful Podcast. I'm your host, Kathy Wisneski, and I'm so glad you're with me here today because this is going to be a really powerful episode. We haven't yet talked about childhood abuse, but we're going to today. But the beautiful that I believe you're going to walk away with at the end of this podcast is the deep truth and wisdom that you're going to hear from my friend Frank. So without further ado, let's get started. Hello, beautiful friends, and welcome back to the Tragically Beautiful podcast. I am really looking forward to today's episode because we're going to be talking about a form of abuse that we haven't touched on before. And once again, I've invited one of my good friends on. So Frank, I would love to welcome you to the podcast. Thank you for being here. Of course. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, I, I'm I'm excited to get get into your story a little bit. And it's always weird to kind of say that because when we're talking about something like abuse, it it's hard to put abuse and excitement in the same in the same sentence. But um, by now, I hope my audience knows what I mean by that. Just that I love to be able to show them like how how my guests have come out on the other side and have really created something beautiful. And so I think that you know our stories are often a very big part of that. So. Before we jump into that, I would love if you would just tell us a little bit about who you are, a little bit about yourself. Sure. Yeah. So I'm I'm 29 years old. Um, I am a veteran of the United States Navy. I grew up in Cleveland, Ohio, and now I live in North Carolina. I used to be a stay-at-home dad for a little while. I'm a Christian. I believe in Jesus. <laughs> and that's a little bit about me. Awesome. How how would you categorize the kind of abuse that you experience? I would categorize it mostly as physical abuse during my childhood. Okay. You know, obviously there there's more that goes along with that in the later years, but yeah, that's how I would I would say it. Okay. So to kind of set the the foundation, I would love it if you shared just a, a little bit about your abuse experience. Just as much or as little as you as you want to, as you know, we we focus on the beautiful here, but just to kind of lay a little bit of a foundation, what would you mm. like to share with us about your experience? Sure, and uh, I want to preface this with saying, you know, I'm pretty much an open book, so I'm I'm comfortable <laughs> sharing whatever. Um, <laughs> obviously, I don't want to go uh, too too much TMI, but um, you know, the the abuse I experienced uh, growing up was um, mostly from my father. Uh, I had I had a physically abusive father. And he would, you know, he would hit me with various objects. And most of the time, I would not really understand why, but I viewed it as I was disobedient in a certain way. And so, um, so yeah, it was mostly from my father. And my mother was very subservient to him. So mm-hmm. and kind of anything he said went. And, you know, it would be very confusing for me as a kid because... You know what kid understands why they're getting physically harmed. So yeah, that was that was pretty much, you know, the major, the major part of the trauma and abuse. 
How how early did that start for you? I would say probably around six or seven years old. Okay. Um, yeah, we uh, we we moved into so when I was five, we moved out of an apartment into our own official house, and so I I think that kind of was the uh, the snowball effect of of things just getting out of hand. Okay. Now, how would you say that this abuse kind of affected your childhood? Like, obviously, you know, as kids, like you said, we don't always understand what's going on and what's happening to us. And and as kids, when things happen to us that are are abusive and things like that, sometimes we might think that that's normal until mm-hmm. we maybe meet other kids that that are not experiencing this. So, how did that affect your childhood? Yeah. So like I said earlier, I, you know, I didn't really understand it a whole lot. I just kind of viewed it as a punishment for, you know, misbehavior. And it kind of went along the lines of whatever my father considered misbehavior. That was, you know, that was the same thing in my mind. So when I would get hit or, you know, abused, I would just take it and, and roll with the punches, um, and act like it was normal. And, um, I didn't I didn't really get to talk to other peers about it or really get into all that the whole discipline thing because anytime it was brought up people would say, Oh yeah, my my, my dad, my mom spanks me or whatever and I, I considered mine, you know, the same thing and it wasn't. But yeah, I <laughs> it made me be more kind of like a quiet, reserved kid because anytime I would I would really speak up or stand up for myself in the household, I would get a lot of attention on me from my dad and, and it would eventually lead to threats of getting hit and then, you know, the act actually happening. And so, um, I was super quiet, overly obedient. I would isolate a lot. I would, I would try and stay out of, out of eyesight as much as possible. Mm. So that's, that's interesting. So do you consider yourself like an introvert by nature? I do. Did that add to it or? Yeah, I, I think that I'm already pretty much introverted, and I think this just made it 10 times more extreme. <laughs> hmm. Wow. While you were going through this as a kid, did you have any kind of specific coping mechanisms? I know you said that you just kind of looked at it as disobedience and everything, but how did you kind of, did you find any ways to kind of self, self-soothe, self or what did you do to cope with it? Yeah, I mean, I... I think the only thing I really could do is isolate. Um, I wasn't, I wasn't super close to a lot of family members or friends. Um, I grew up in like a really super ghetto area. And so my parents wouldn't really let me have friends outside of school. So I'd spend a lot of time at home and, uh, you know, I would just go in my room. I would uh, be by myself. I would read or play games, uh, a lot of video games, uh, if you consider that a coping mechanism. <laughs> mm-hmm. In a lot of cases, and I know with a lot of the guests that I've had on here that I've that I've spoken with, when um, someone is being abused in any way, they they have this you know th- their struggle and their anger and their hurt and anxiety kind of manifests itself in some form. Now, as a child, I've I've actually not interviewed someone yet who was abused as a child, which makes this an interesting episode for me. As a child, we don't understand those big emotions. Mm-hmm. So how did how did this manifest for you outwardly at all? And if so, how did, how did it manifest? Yeah, yeah, that's a good question. So since I wasn't a super uh, big personality, it wouldn't you know I wouldn't um, I wouldn't let big emotions come out a whole lot. But when they did, 
I would do things that uh, were unknowingly attention-seeking. Um, I can recall a specific moment. I was at my aunt's house for some sort of gathering. It might have been like a 4th of July party or something. And um, I, as a kid, I noticed that I wasn't, like, people weren't really paying attention to me. I wasn't, I couldn't talk to anybody. Nobody really wanted to spend any time with me. So I would go and hide. Um, I remember I went and hid in a closet for a while. I was probably in there for about 20 minutes. And uh, my mom eventually found me and scolded me for hiding from everybody. But uh, I look back at that now and I, I can see that that was me seeking attention in a very unique way. <laughs> <laughs> right. But eventually, um, outside of like being a younger child, as a teenager, I, I did turn to cutting myself. Um, mm. I only did that once. And I, uh, I cut myself on my, like my forearm on five different spots. And it wasn't like a big, deep cut or anything like that. But, uh, yeah, that's, I think that was another form of attention seeking on my behalf. Uh, even though nobody found out about it, I never showed anybody, but, uh, I was passive aggressively hoping they did. <laughs> right. So yeah, mostly kind of looking ahead, for some kind of positive attention, right? Right, right, right. Did any of your extended family know that this was happening? No, no. I, um, you know, I've come out about it in, in recent years, and most of my family didn't realize the extent. They knew that there were some issues, but nobody ever dug deep into it. So, yeah, as far as I know, nobody really knew. I know when I was a kid, I had a perfectly wonderful childhood as far as, as, far as I'm concerned. Um, but I know that I, I think probably every every child has those moments in life when, you know, their mom or dad didn't let them do something and they get it in their mind. I'm never going to be like that when I grow up, you know, and you obviously have a big reason to say, I've never, I don't want to be like that when I get older. Was there a pivotal moment or realization that, that you would say inspired you to kind of want to break free from this? Or also like, when was the moment that you realized that this was abusive? Mm -hmm. So <laughs> it it didn't really happen until I was an adult. Uh I was 23 years old. And the big the big pivot was me believing in Jesus. And I know that can sound kind of cliché, but um it's true. I uh I had brought myself to, you know, a very kind of like rock bottom place in my life and um I was at a point where, you know, I was having suicidal thoughts and I I just didn't want to be here anymore. And so eventually that kind of led me to seek out a reason for being here and it led me to Jesus. And so I, uh, you know, I, I got saved. And after that moment, I kind of realized that I was abused and I would have never admitted that to myself or I would have never even um, comprehended that what I went through was abuse as a child. It was just normal to me and I never questioned it. Um, and I never really got to have a uh, an adult conversation about it. But once I once I started reading the Bible and praying, getting to know God and everything, uh, my eyes were kind of opened to to how messed up my childhood was. You mentioned in the beginning that you were in the military for a while. Mm -hmm. Do you think that any of this affected your military service or anything that you learned there that kind of helped with with your healing? Yeah, so I do think that it um it had a huge effect on my military time, especially because like I said I wasn't super close to a, a lot of people growing up and so when I went away to the military I felt more alone 
there than I did ever because I was just gone. I didn't know anybody. I had to, you know, make new friends, which I wasn't already, I already wasn't good at. And so, um, yeah, I was at, I was probably at the lowest point in my life when I was in the military. And, you know, I, I served on a, on a submarine and it was just really stressful. And eventually to, to, towards, you know, the end of my service, I wanted to get off the submarine. I told the doctors there that I felt like I was dealing with depression. And um, for those who don't know, you're not allowed to have depression uh, on a submarine. And so I kind of took that opportunity to to get off the submarine and talk to a psychologist and get into group therapy and things like that. Was this prior to you coming to know Jesus? It was. It was. You know, I didn't. I didn't really understand what was wrong with me at the time, but I knew for a fact that I was miserable and depressed. <laughs> and so I, I kind of just, I cried for help, but it, it was like a temporary thing. I just, I, I really wanted to get out of the military and, um, I did, I, I have an honorable discharge and everything. So there was no, no, no malice there, but, um, yeah, I, I just, I couldn't, I couldn't serve in the military under that sort of, you know, stress I was dealing with. So I, yeah, I didn't realize the extent of my issues, but I knew I had them. Kind of what um, is coming, coming to me through this conversation is it's interesting how, when you were a child and you were experiencing these things in real time, what you wanted was to isolate. And then when you became an adult and you were isolated on the submarine, it turned out to be not what you wanted. And that to me, both of those things kind of point from opposite directions to mm. where you landed with the Lord, which I think is really, really cool. Yeah, yeah, I, I completely agree. That's that's good that you pointed that out. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I'm just curious, what is your relationship like with your parents today? So today, I actually do not have a relationship with my parents. A lot of things have, have been exposed since since I got saved. And, and, you know, I realized that my parents are addicted to drugs. Um, they're on, you know, a lot of pills and stuff like that. And th that was one of the things that was hidden from me growing up. And uh, that was kind of hush hush until I got older. And, you know, if, if I could uh, share a story really quickly, when I got out of the military, I came home to live with my parents. And um, I was helping my parents pay for the rent where they were staying at. And I would give them money every month, and uh, I did that for probably about seven or eight months. And one day I find out that we're getting evicted from this place. And I realized that my parents were not using the money I was giving them for the rent. Instead, mm -hmm. it, it came out that they were you know, spending that money on drugs. And so wow. um, I, I confronted my dad, and... I said, you know, he, he approached me to, to borrow some more money after all that had come out. And, and I, he asked me for 80 bucks <laughs> and, um, I was like, you know, you can either have this $80 or you can have me as your son in your life. And he looked at me and he said, I'll take the $80. And so I gave him the money. I gave him the money. I packed up and I left. I went to go stay with a friend and, uh, that's crazy. Yeah, so I I had I had still communicated with him in the following couple of years after that, but to this day, um, I I've cut off all communication to my parents. 
That's insane. Yeah. That's completely insane. But I I do like the point that it makes that sometimes um, the people in our lives that are our abusers need to be removed from our lives for our own health, for our own well-being. You know, I think sometimes it's easy to think about, you know, no contact and, you know, removing someone from your life if it's like a, a spouse that's abusing you or a, or a romantic partner or something like that. But it's different when we think about our parents, our siblings, you know, think mm-hmm. people that are close to us and, you know, that have been in our lives all our lives. So I think that doing that was very, very brave. So I just want to acknowledge you for that because that's not easy. It's not an easy thing to do. Thank you. Yeah, that that's definitely been one of the toughest things I've I've ever had to do. Wow. So how did all of this uh kind of shape your views on relationships, on trust, on self-worth, all of these kinds of things as you grew older? Yeah, so um it, besides the the physical abuse and like the financial situation there, there was just a lot of uh, psychological manipulation I would I would I dealt with with my parents and uh, so now now or at least prior to me getting married uh, I expected a lot of manipulation from from relationships and I just kind of go I used to go into the mindset of this person has an agenda and they want to be with me for a specific reason that's not just because they care about me. And mm-hmm. so I, I I looked at it like that a lot. So very little trust. Yeah, a lot of trust issues there. <laughs> mm. Wow. I think I probably know the answer to this, but when would you say was that turning point when you decided that you were going to turn this tragedy into something beautiful? Yeah, so you you say rightly when you expect <laughs> it was it was Jesus, you know, me getting saved mm-hmm. and everything. Um but even more so than that, it's it's kind of been a process of those situations happening of me having a, another turning point. And so I think another huge turning point after me getting saved was um, when I became the guardian of my nephews. So my wife, Kate, and I got married and we took in my two nephews and my sister, their mother, went into rehab. And I, I think that was the like one of the biggest steps I could take. Um, to kind of try and turn things around as much as I possibly could in in the uh, the areas of my family that were the most unhealthy. My audience might remember that Kate was on the show as well, your wife, Kate, mm-hmm. um, one yeah. of my bestest friends. I love her. <laughs> um, she was my first guest on the show, and I believe she talked about your nephews on that show as well. And uh, it was it, it's really cool because I remember her talking about you in those very beginning times, like, oh, there's this cute guy. You guys are just, um, the two of you together are just amazing. Amazing, oh, amazing people. Thank you. Thank yeah. you. What, what steps did you take once you, you, you've now grown up, you now have realized that you were experiencing abuse? What were the intentional steps that you took to kind of rebuild your life and regain a sense of control and independence. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, so like I mentioned earlier, I, I cut my father off and my mother. And so I, that has been one of the most vital, um, the most vital parts of rebuilding my life and kind of getting things to, to a point to where I can manage. So I've had to cut off a lot of people from my family. You know, it all started with cutting my parents off, and that was like the the 
the beginning of of healing and then the more time i spent without the most negative influence in my life the more i was able to see things more clearly with the rest of my family and uh mm. there there's a lot of uh discrepancies with my relationships with my family and so i've had to i've had to set a lot of boundaries um between how how much influence um, the people closest to me can have and you know it's really hard because you want you want the best for you and your family and that and that relationship and when you come to the point to where you realize you just can't have that it's it's a it's a difficult journey and so um but regardless that is necessary for for my life to stay out of the gutter <laughs> for the time being so um yeah just cutting people off setting boundaries learning new healthy habits um I didn't mention this before, but I, I was in the early stages of alcoholism as well before I got saved. And so I've just um, recently, I've, I uh, celebrated five years of sobriety. And uh, Congratulations. That's amazing. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. And so yeah. that's that's part of the process of me trying to learn newer, healthy habits and, and stay away from things that'll just drag me down and keep me to that negative level that I shouldn't be at. So. Right. You know, you mentioned that um, you had taken in your your sister's two boys for a while. Mm -hmm. um, what is what is your relationship like with your sister? So and did she experience the same thing? Yeah, so it's a complicated relationship between her and I. Um, we're definitely a lot closer now than we used to be, which is crazy because I grew up with her in the same house, and I I, I wasn't close to her growing up. And uh, we, you know, her and I have both admitted that to each other so we are at a closer point now but um she she still is in direct communication with a lot of people that i have cut off including my mm -hmm. parents and so that that relationship is tough because a lot of my family treats my sister as like the filter between me and them and so she's kind of at the at the the butt end of all of the uh the communication that wants to be sent back and forth so um yeah, it's it's definitely it's definitely a better relationship with her and the kids and um I don't I don't get to talk to the kids as much as I would like to just because of, you know, the 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 awkward kind of dynamic there is, but um and I'm sorry, what was the second part of that question? Did did she experience the same kind of abuse growing up as you did? Yeah, so <laughs> so she, hers was a little bit worse because she has the opposite kind of personality as I do. Mm -hmm. She's more extroverted and rebellious and, and um, alpha. And so, you know, whenever she would get mistreated like I would, she would definitely throw a big fit. And it only made my, my dad's anger 10 times worse. And, uh, so yeah, she definitely had it worse than I did, and uh, I I definitely still see the effects of it to this day. Wow, do you feel like you've you've healed from all of this, or do you feel like it's still an ongoing process? I I believe that it is an ongoing process, and I also believe that I have healed a ton, and that's that's the crazy part about going through all this as a child is that it really sticks with you <laughs> as an mm -hmm. adult. So. I do, I do believe I've healed a lot, but I'm still, um, I still have to actively try and maintain certain habits so that I don't fall into bad habits. Right. 
do you, do you find that anything kind of um kind of brings you back to that place like i know for me um my abuse was well the most recent was narcissistic and he would make this particular hand gesture and mm-hmm. i like i thought that i was you know i was over this i was good everything and then i was talking to someone completely unrelated and they made the similar hand gesture and i remember just like my it was a physical response Mm-hmm. Of, of seeing that hand gesture, it took me right back to that place. I, luckily, I was able to recognize it right away and be mm-hmm. like, okay, that's what this is. Um, is there anything that kind of like triggers you now? Yeah, so I have I have a couple stories I'd like to share about it. Um, quick stories. Uh, when, when Kate and I were still in the process of dating and whatnot, um, she, she had found out something about my sister, just some random piece of information. And she, she gave me this look and (laughs) the way she looked at me, I instantly, for some reason, my body, I had a visceral response like you did. And I just, for some reason, I thought she was hiding something and was trying to manipulate me. And then my brain just went into this downward spiral of she's, she doesn't really care about me. She's in this for some reason, other than actually caring about me. Yeah. It it got out of hand fast. and so that was, that's one uh, situation. And um, the other is, so I used to work at the, the post office after um, I got out of the, the military and a, a job that I took on top of that at the post office was being a union steward. And so for those that, uh, that don't know, a union steward is the person who has to hold up like the contract between the employers and the employees. And so if, if ever like, um, somebody breaks a rule in the contract, I have to be the one to enforce that rule. And so I was super uncomfortable with confrontation. And this job that I took made me have to be extremely confrontational and, and stand my ground. And so I would get into these confrontational, scary situations. And even even just thinking about having to confront certain people, in my mind, I pictured going up to them, trying to confront them, and then they smack me in the face. Mm. And so I just had that, that, that response, that physical response, like these, these terrible things are going to happen. And they didn't. And yeah, but I do, I definitely still do get triggered like that. Hey friends, Kathy here. You know, after an abusive relationship, at some point we arrive at the realization that we need to heal ourselves mentally, emotionally, physically, and spiritually. Often that's a very conscious thought, but also often it's not. We just innately know that we need to get better. When that time comes, it can be difficult to know where or how to start. When you've been in survival mode for so long, it can be really difficult to see yourself outside of that fight or flight mode, let alone know what to do to start taking care of yourself and healing. This is exactly why I created my ebook, Reclaim Your Wellbeing Self-Care Tips After Abuse. In this free resource, I drew from my own experience with abuse, coupled with my background as a health coach, to create an easy to digest, easy to understand, comprehensive guide to get you started on the road to true and lasting wellness. This ebook is completely free, and you can get your copy by going to tragicallybeautiful.me and clicking on the link at the top of the page. In it, you'll find tips on nurturing your body, cultivating positive mental health, embracing emotional healing, establishing boundaries, and engaging in self-care rituals, all in a very bite-sized format so it's not overwhelming. It even contains a worksheet so you can map your own journey to healing. 
This is a great resource to help you find what will work for you now and have the rest come back to later. Health and wellness are not all or nothing. That's one of the biggest realizations I had with my own healing. Healing takes a lot of time and energy, so it's okay to tackle one area at a time. And this ebook will help you do just that. So head on over to tragicallybeautiful.me and pick up your free copy today. And so I just had that, that, that response, that physical response, like these, these terrible things are going to happen and they didn't. And yeah, but I do, I definitely still do get triggered like that. Yeah. It, it's such a weird thing because it comes out of nowhere. You're just, mm-hmm. you, there's no way to expect it or know that it's coming. And then all of a sudden it's like, Ooh, <laughs> what was that? <laughs> right. Yeah. Wow. Do you or did you have any particular role models that helped you through this or any kind of support system that that you went through, went to? So not so much uh, as a child, but more in my adult years. There was a family member I have who uh, was a good role model in certain ways and a bad role model in other ways. But, um, you know, I took took the positive and (laughs) didn't Mm -hmm. follow along with the negative. But yeah, this person had, had been through Alcoholics Anonymous and they had been a Christian. And so there were some examples there that that person had uh, left for me to follow. And so um, that was a big one. And on top of that, when I was uh, getting out of the Navy, I was talking to a psychologist and I told him a lot of the same things I, I'm telling you. And I, <laughs> so I remember telling him that, you know, when I get out of the military and go home, uh, and live with my parents, I want to set a good example for them because they, I mean, my parents didn't really have a job at the time. And so I told the psychologist, Hey, I'm going to go home and set a good example for them. And then they'll know how how to live. (laughs) And he, he told me, he was like, honestly, the best example that you could set for them is getting away from them and living your own life. Mm -hmm. And of course I didn't, agree with him at the time. And I did the complete opposite of what he told me to do when I went home. But in eventually I found out that he was right. So that was a huge moment for me looking back and thinking, wow, that, that guy was really trying to help me. Right. So you mentioned earlier that one of the things that, that helps you and continues to help you is setting boundaries. How do you enforce those boundaries in your life? That's something I know a lot of people have trouble with. (laughs) <laughs> so yeah, that, that one has been a more complicated, um, a complicated skill to have. Um, and I think that job that I had at the post office with the confrontation and everything played a huge factor in me learning those skills. So, you know, the best way to set boundaries that I found is that when somebody is crossing your boundaries, it is important to confront them as publicly as possible. So I don't want to get too specific here, but there there have been situations in my family where somebody was being mistreated at a gathering, and the person who caused the mistreatment, I went up to them in front of everybody and confronted them and told them how wrong it was, and it never happened again. And mm-hmm. so, you know, I'm, I know that not everyone is comfortable with confrontation, so it's a little bit harder to set boundaries when you can't really do that. So, the, I mean, the only other way I could set boundaries with really unhealthy people, like I said earlier, is cutting them off or, or limiting as much communication with them as I can. And, you know, if, if some of this confrontation has to be over text message or phone calls, 
I'm completely okay with that as well. Because one way or another, these boundaries need to be communicated or there, mm-hmm. no one's ever going to know that you have boundaries in the first place. Right. Right. That's an excellent point that, you know, text message, email is perfectly appropriate. Not only do you then have record of it that you <laughs> that you did communicate that boundary, but then there's no opportunity like like there would be in an in-person situation for them to manipulate or, you know, sway the, the situation and make it or, or do something publicly that, mm-hmm. you know, to try and make you look like the bad guy or something like that. So, um, yeah. you know, it, I think it's, it's a very individual thing, but mm-hmm. you know, whatever, whatever you're comfortable with just to make those boundaries known and communicate them, I think is a really excellent point. Thank you. Yeah. What about any kind of like resources? Is there anything that you use then or now? Um, websites, books, podcasts, anything like that that's helped you along the way? Yeah. So the 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 months leading up to me, you know, believing in Jesus and getting saved, um, I I referred to a lot of self help books, which at at the time, in my mind, I was heavily against any sort of like self-help books or anything like that um, is, is just looked down upon with my peers and, and whatnot. But I had gotten to a super low point. And so I'm like, I have to make some sort of change. And so I would, I would, when I worked at the post office, I could have headphones and I would just listen to these audiobooks while I would deliver mail. And um, yeah, a lot of self-help books, a lot of psychological books and uh, just books that kind of, preached positivity and overcoming your fears and and things like that and then obviously after getting saved i the bible has just been a complete game changer for mm-hmm. you know all of my all of my fears and my needs and uh yeah awesome fantastic so everything that you went through if you you're looking at the person that you are today how would you say you've been both positively and negatively impacted by your experience? Yeah, so I the the way I look at my experiences in a positive light is I believe that I was given a golden opportunity to have a great example of how not to live my life. <laughs> um, so yeah, I, I I try to take these experiences and and look at them with a very unbiased viewpoint and say okay was this good was this beneficial and was or was it not and so i try to stay away from all of the the unhealthy um experiences as much as possible but in the negative aspect um i've learned that i can be more naturally pessimistic about things and expecting negative outcomes when it comes to certain goals or dreams that I have. And so I, I do tend towards tend to, to look towards negative pessimism and, and melancholy. Right. Right. Which is, is understandable. And, yeah. uh, <laughs> but it sounds like, um, and, and knowing you a little bit too, that like me, you also came to a crossroads where you just, you said like, I can go this way or I can go this way. And, I know for me, it was like, I can curl up in a ball and be mean and bitter and everything the rest of my life. And probably the world would look at me and say, but she's justified for that. Yeah. But the other option was, I can also take this experience and let it make me better. 
So I knew I had that bitter or better choice in front of me, and I chose mm-hmm. better. Because at the end of the day, time is going to pass. Your life is going to pass. So mm-hmm. do you want to pass it, pass your, your life and your time as a miserable individual? Or do you want to make the best of your life and do beautiful things and create all kinds of magic in your life? And that's what I decided I wanted. And it sounds like you made the same decision. Yeah, yeah. And it's it's so easy to to, you know, be miserable and negative. And I, you know, it just, I, uh, it takes more effort to, to be positive and make the best out of every situation. So I I completely understand how people can take it and and just say, who cares? It's, I'm not putting in all this effort if no one else is. So, um, you know, I'm glad that you also look at at the positive and kind of take life by the horns. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. That's not to say that it doesn't get exhausting at times because it certainly does, but you know, like a lot of things in my life, I look at, at my experience and I think, you know, I would never want to go through that again. But mm-hmm. personally, I wouldn't trade it for the world. Because as terrible as it was, and that sounds very, um, almost controversial, I think that sounds, mm-hmm. but uh, <laughs> it's like, <laughs> I know that through those experiences, not only did I learn a lot, but because I've made the decisions to look at them positively, I've allowed them to change me in really great ways into the person I've become today. And and I quite like her, <laughs> you know, I like yeah. her a lot better than the me from 20 years ago. And mm-hmm. not only that, but as a fellow Christian, it's also brought me closer to God in so many ways. And mm-hmm. that is priceless to me. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's always crazy when, when people bring up that statement of like, I wouldn't, I wouldn't change anything that I've been through. And it almost makes you sound like a glutton for punishment, you know? But like you said, it really shapes you into the person you are today. And a lot of times I like to think about what kind of person would I be if I hadn't have gone through these experiences? Mm-hmm. And, you know, that's, that's really, uh, that's a wild, a wild imaginational thought there. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's kind of next level stuff almost. And, yeah. you know, sometimes I like to look at the things that I went through and think about them in a way like instead of saying, like, why did this happen to me? Um, maybe look at it as like, why not me? Mm-hmm. Or further, what if this actually has nothing to do with me? Yeah, Maybe I went through this so that I could help other people who are going through, yeah. which That's is so what I, I kind of feel like this podcast is. It's yeah. kind of me trying yeah. to help other people who went through what I went through. Absolutely. And, um, yeah. Yeah. Awesome. So let's let's really look and dig into the beautiful now. Okay. Looking today, what would what would you say are the beautiful things in your life? And then I would love to like know also if you kind of attribute your past abuse to this these beautiful things or if they were kind of just beautiful things that happened along the way. Yeah, so um I would say one of the biggest, most beautiful things in my life now is my marriage with Kate, because, you know, prior to getting saved and everything and changing my life around, I, I was um, pretty bad with the women. <laughs> mm-hmm. And so I, I really had an unhealthy coping mechanism when it comes to women. And so I view my marriage today as a huge, a huge change in, in, in my, in my family bloodline. I mean, I've, 
you know, Kate is the total opposite type of person I would have went for before because um, I would seek out a certain type of person who I believed had experienced similar things as I did growing up or, or could handle those kinds of things. And mm -hmm. so when I would look at people who had never been through as much abuse as I did, I just, it didn't click. And so, you know, God obviously showed me otherwise. And it, being with Kate has been the best, the best thing that's happened to me besides getting saved. <laughs> and mm -hmm. so, um, you know, that on top of taking in my nephews and helping my sister get to rehab and, and supporting her along the way and, you know, setting healthy boundaries for my marriage. These, these things have been huge in um, maintaining, you know, a positive lifestyle. Mm -hmm. Do you feel like you've put things in place either, either internally or externally to protect your marriage and your family? with, you know, based on the things that you experienced? Yeah. So, um, there have been certain situations where I, I've witnessed attacks <laughs> towards my marriage. I, I know that sounds a bit dramatic, but there have been things that, that could have driven a huge wedge between Kate and I. And I, I believe God has given me the foresight to kind of nip those things in the bud by, you know, cutting certain people out or, or setting certain boundaries to where just certain people cannot have that much influence on my marriage. And I do think that sometimes it can be a generational thing or it can just be a cultural thing where people want to pass down certain um, traditions or certain, you know, unhealthy, toxic traits. Like, you know, you get into toxic masculinity and whatnot and misogyny. And so, I've I've experienced some of those things happen towards my marriage and so I've I've really had to set strict boundaries with those situations. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, it, I think that uh, boundaries is becoming a theme. <laughs> <laughs> not not only in our conversation but in all the conversations that I've had it, it it's so important. You know, we learn so much from from yeah. our experiences. What I'd like to touch on is is something you didn't you didn't talk about yet. And that right. is your love for art. Mm -hmm. What does art do for you? So, yeah, so art does a lot for me. Um, and, you know, you hear it a lot with kids that have been through trauma. They they go through, you know, art therapy and whatnot. And um, I believe that that's exactly what it does for me. So for people who don't know, I um, when I was a guardian of my nephews, that's when I first started really getting into art because I was a stay-at-home dad. and so. Um, I was able to spend more time focusing on what I like as well on top of taking care of the kids. And so I got into art and I eventually, um, I found out I, I really like oil painting and, and painting portraits and things like that. And so, um, it's, it's really changed how I look at things because when it comes to painting, you really have to slow down and take your time and kind of smell the roses uh, so to speak. And before that, I mean, I was just a very impatient, rushed, angry, frustrated person. And so art really brings in the polar opposite aspects of life that I need to kind of help me stay in a healthy mindset. I was not expecting that answer, but I love <laughs> I love that answer because I, I love the kind of the duality of it, the, um, you know, the, the com 
the complete polar opposite from what your tendencies are as a person and what like I love that you've recognized what art does oppositionally that makes you slow down and really think about things and everything else and mm-hmm. and um obviously I've seen a lot of your art I have been gifted a piece of your art a little yeah. uh, painting of my dog and and you have this tremendous gift and I I believe that it's something that because of what you just said is something that that God has given you in order mm-hmm. to be able to uh, to work through these things and just to be able to see in a different way those beautiful things in life. Mm-hmm. So, like, I'm, I'm having I'm having a revelation moment here right now. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I I, uh, I y- your your gift is amazing. Like, your portraits are incredible, and uh, Thank you. I can't wait to see like where you go with your art. That's Thank awesome. you so much. I appreciate yeah. that. Yeah, you're welcome. One question I have for you that is a tough one. And it, it was actually, it was asked of me. I did a podcast uh, interview with someone on another podcast. And mm-hmm. the question she asked me was, have you forgiven him? And my response was, if I'm being totally honest, the answer is probably no. And mm-hmm. I've probably also given myself permission for that to be a no, at least for now. Mm-hmm. So how about you? Have you forgiven your father? Yeah, so long story short, I did forgive him. And I completely understand uh, where you're coming from when you say that, you know, you feel justified in, in not forgiving. I I was there, you know, after I kind of had come to the realization of how, how poorly I was treated. I I mean I dang near hated my dad. I mean I would I would picture myself just beating him up. <laughs> um and so you know I would have these conversations with God and and you know in in those conversations and in reading the Bible I just realized how important forgiveness is not only for your relationship with that person but for healing yourself um because you know I kind of just realized that me not forgiving someone only makes me want to hold on to all of that pain and that burden. Um, and so at, at one point I just had this conversation with God and I told him, you know, if you could forgive me of all the terrible things I did and save me from going to hell for eternity, then I could, I could forgive what has been done to me in this temporary space that we're in now. And, you know, that's obviously easier said than done. But for me in that moment, it was, I had, come to the end of, you know, wanting to hold on to that, that unforgiveness, um, just because it was, it was making me bitter. And so I, I genuinely forgave them. And, you know, it, a lot of people think that forgiveness comes with reconciliation and with having to tell the person that you forgave them. And I didn't do that. I didn't Mm -hmm. tell my parents that I had completely forgiven them. I didn't, I didn't reconcile the relationship. And I think, you know, that might be more specific to my situation, but my parents are still in a very unhealthy way. And I've had certain conversations with them where they just do not, um, they're just not up to par with being able to comprehend these sorts of things. And so, um, you know, the forgiveness was more for me and for healing and for changing and growing. And I, it's just helped me to to move on with my life and take that advice that that psychologist gave me to to move on and live my own life and and stop holding on to 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 not make my trauma my identity but to 
heal from it and to move on and to to mm-hmm. to not make everything I do based off of what I've been through. Right. That's one of the things I'm actually working on right now is developing a course for exactly this sort of thing to allow people the opportunity and teach them how to kind of rewrite their story um, Mm -hmm. because of what you just said, that your abuse and what has happened to you is not your identity. You're so much, you know, you're, you're so much bigger, so much different. It's just a a part of your history Mm -hmm. um, and not, not the whole thing. It's one chapter, not the entire book. Um, Yeah, that's so true. But uh, I, I also love the point that you just made that forgiveness doesn't mean that you have to reconcile. Mm-hmm. And that, uh, you know, that's that's an important thing, because I think I think forgiveness can be misunderstood to mm-hmm. think that that's what it what it means when it actually doesn't. And I've heard it. I've heard it said before that um, forgiving someone is much like releasing yourself from prison. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's, you know, forgiveness is oftentimes more for us than for that person. And like you said, you don't even have to tell that person that you did it. It's kind of getting to that point where you can release it. And Mm -hmm. uh, so it's not kind of destroying you anymore. And, you know, I tell myself, I tell myself things all the time, like, you know, just forgive him, just forgive him, just forgive him. Mm -hmm. Um, Because, you know, I I know myself, and I know I will eventually. So I'm like, why am I prolonging this right now? And it's been (laughs) several years, like I've been out of this for several years. But yeah, there, there is just something about, I don't know, I don't know what it is about it. That's like, Nope, I'm still gonna. <laughs> yeah. I'm still gonna like. I'm still angry, and uh, um, I don't think it affects me on a daily basis. My anger, but I know mm-hmm. deep deep down that the unforgiveness does affect me. So I'll get there. Yeah. I just need to keep finger wagging myself and being like, "Just do it, girl." <laughs> oh yeah, you'll get there eventually, hopefully. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So if there are people out there, I know that this is kind of an, an interesting question because what you experienced happened as a child. And, mm-hmm. But if there are people out there that are experiencing physical abuse, obviously our listeners are going to be adults. But if, if mm-hmm. someone's out there experiencing this, what would your advice be to them for dealing with it now and then um, recovery after as well? Yeah, so I, you know, I I don't think any kids would be listening, but (laughs) I think, you know, as an underage person, the the best advice I can give is to try and get close to Jesus and pray. And if you can get your hands on a Bible, read the Bible and and know that God is there for you. But now as an adult, if, if you're an adult who has dealt with these things as a child, I would say the best thing to do is to get away from the abusers. Do not let them have as much influence as they as they do in your life. And I know that's that's easier said than done because, you know, it was hard for me because, I mean, these are my parents. And I was a very loyal, obedient son. And I cared so much about being close with my parents. And so for me, it was extremely hard to cut off my parents. But I believe I'm a living testimony that it's possible even no matter how much you love your parents. If they are unhealthy for you, you have to you have to cut them off and live your life and just trust that maybe one day that relationship can be restored. Apart from that, I would just say to set your firm boundaries where you can, where you believe that you need them and and practice saying no, <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, you know, when the situations call for it, because it's so easy to 
say yes to everything and and kind of people please and whatnot and you know I say this this is coming from a person who was an extreme people pleaser and very passive and you know just a very very um low person <laughs> and apart from that, I would say just remember who you are and and what you've been through and try and keep in mind you know, the positive things that have happened in your life and, and your accomplishments, your your good accomplishments and goals you've achieved. Try and remember these things to, to keep you from, from getting too low. And, you know, not to be redundant, but forgive. Forgiveness. <laughs> I would recommend <laughs> highly to forgive uh, the people who have hurt you. Okay, fine. <laughs> <laughs> not to twist your arm or anything. <laughs> Well, before we wrap up, I have just one final question for you that I like to end all of my episodes with. What is your definition of tragically beautiful? So my definition of tragically beautiful is being able to to experience negative things and to just be able to acknowledge them for what they were and to still be able to, you know, be the type of person who does not let that control their entire life. Oh, I love it. Well, thank you so, so much for coming on the podcast today and sharing yeah. um, pieces of your story with us, but not only for that, but also um, the amazing, beautiful things that you um, have been able to create in your life as you kind of exited the tumultuous childhood that you had and grew into mm -hmm. an adult and, and for the amazing tips and advice that you've offered as well. Mm -hmm. But also, I want to acknowledge you for the uh, the incredible strength and courage that you've exhibited in your life over these years and for the very brave decision that you made to break the cycle and do things differently in your own life. So I just wanted to acknowledge you for that and say thank you so, so much for being with me. Thank you so much for having me. It was a pleasure. Well, beautiful friends, thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Tragically Beautiful podcast. There were so many great nuggets in there that I took away and will be using in my own healing journey. Some of my biggest takeaways were how Frank shared that you don't want to let your trauma become your identity. How forgiveness, which is an intentional decision to let go of resentment and anger, is more for yourself than your abuser and does not necessarily mean reconciliation. And of course, our common theme of the importance of boundaries in your relationships and the importance of defending those boundaries. But I think the most profound thing that I'm taking away from this episode is how Frank talked about his art and how the oppositional force of having to slow down and be thoughtful and intentional goes against his nature, which is exactly why he engages in this kind of activity. And might I say, therapy. Because that's exactly what we have to do when healing from abuse, right? We have to slow down. We have to give it the time that it needs. And if I'm being totally honest, most of us will find that it takes much longer than we expected or that we thought it would. Just like when painting, you need to figure out which perfect color to use and exactly where to place that brush stroke. In healing, we need to figure out what our next right step is and allow ourselves the time and even the precision we need to truly heal in each of the nuances of life where it's necessary. Inviting in and embracing that polar opposite is such a powerful and self-aware and intentional way to heal. And I just love that. 
I hope you enjoyed this episode as much as I enjoyed talking with Frank, and I hope you were able to find your own takeaways that will empower you to take the next right step in your healing journey. And I would love to hear about those takeaways. So go ahead and uh, leave a comment, send me an email, or uh, answer the question on Spotify if that's where you listen, and let me know what you took away. After an abusive relationship, we often need to reprogram our minds and figure out who we are and what we need. And if you need a little help with that, again, I'd like to direct you to my brand new free ebook entitled Reclaim Your Wellbeing, Self-Care Tips After Abuse, which dives into some simple steps you can take after an abusive relationship to get you on the road to true and lasting wellness. So definitely pop on over to tragicallybeautiful.me, also linked in the show notes, and grab your free copy today. If you like this episode, please consider subscribing, writing a review, leaving a comment, sharing with a friend, or taking a screenshot of this episode wherever you're listening to it and tagging us on Instagram at Tragically Beautiful Podcast. If you or someone you know might like to be a guest on a future episode, you can apply by going to tragicallybeautiful.me and completing the form. For links and resources mentioned in today's episode, be sure to check the show notes. If you're currently in an abusive situation where you feel in physical danger, please find a safe place and call the National Domestic Violence Hotline at 1-800-799-7233. This number is included in the show notes in case you can't write it down immediately. Finally, as a disclaimer, I am not a doctor, psychiatrist, or any other form of medical professional. I am a health coach, but that is something completely different. I'm simply someone who has survived several abusive experiences, and I have stories I'm ready to share with the world in hopes that maybe even one person can be helped. Anything you hear on this podcast is for informational purposes only. The Tragically Beautiful podcast is released each month, so be sure to subscribe so you can be notified every time a new episode is released. Until then, remember, you may have experienced tragedy, but it has made you tragically beautiful.